Hi, I'm John Freitag. I'm with All American Hospice. Today, I'm here with Jerry Rothkopf. He's an elder care attorney with Rothkopf Elder Law. Uh, thanks for taking the time out of your schedule, Jerry. Thanks for joining us. John, I appreciate you inviting me, and I appreciate you doing this, not just for uh, myself, but for, for the long-term professional community as well. Thanks. I, I enjoy doing this. So I, I like really have fun keeping everyone connected, and, uh, and I, I appreciate your time. Um, Jerry, we were talking a little bit before the call, um, trying to get people connected, trying to know a little bit about your, about your, your story. So why do you work with seniors? Um, I, I practice elder law, which mainly, you know, my average client age is probably 80 years old, I would say. The main reason I do it, because um, it gave me the opportunity to practice law but more than practice law, it gave me the opportunity to help people uh, who in many cases are in, in a moment of crisis or their family member is in a, is in a moment of a crisis. So, um, and over the years, uh, I have, we have added different pieces um, to it. I would love to say that the main reason I, I got involved in elder law was related to for a family situation saying my grandmother, both my grandmother and grandpa both had Alzheimer's disease. And I would, love, I would love to say that the main reason I got involved in elder law is because I saw what happened to them and in, in remembrance of a grandparent, I wanna help others who do not have to go through the same experience or, didn't, or, or receive help the way my family maybe didn't do, receive help or do the right thing. But that would all be a lie. That's not the reason I got involved in elder law. Okay. Um, the main reason I got involved in elder law because I kind of fell into it uh, back in the, I would say the late nineties, I was practicing law in Philadelphia doing civil litigation work at a small law firm in, in uh, center city, Philadelphia back in the late nineties. And um, I got involved in a couple elder law cases and I, and then I went and I had to learn the difference between Medicare and Medicaid um, 20 plus years ago. At that time, was there a lot of elder, elder law specialties or specialists, I should say, or was it, um, not like it is today. It was, it was elder law as a special, specialty really became, I would say, a specialty probably in the late 80s. But really, around the time I got involved in, in elder law, which was 2000, uh, it really started to go into mainstream. So I, I, would stay, I was still on the upper cusp of the rise in, in, in the, the, the practice of elder law itself. So, but I went to some seminars. And I really learned how to practice elder law uh, back in the early law, Sorry to interrupt you, but how does elder law different than say, um, say just a, a standard attorney? Well, there, there's, it's, that's, a, that's, an easy, that's a simple question on its face, a very difficult to question to answer in practice. Um, elder law attorneys deal with issues related to the aging process. Naturally, dealing with the aging process, we're involved in long-term care. So most, just elder attorneys in general, have a specialty in dealing with issues associated with the aging process and have a specific, a specific knowledge of the long-term care system, the, the reimbursement system related to long-term care, but it certainly involves estate planning. It involves real estate, it involves taxes, it can involve social security, obviously Medicaid, VA benefits, that's all interrelated in, in, in Medicaid. 
So that's generally what a traditional elder law attorney does. Right. I, that's, I've been practicing elder law for 20 years. That's all I know how to do. Yeah. I don't do workers' comp. I don't do personal injury work. I don't handle divorces. Right. I, I, I have no idea how to do that. And, and we have, I have enough to do as it is. Yeah, so there's lots of different facets. And you guys take an approach, a, a real holistic approach, having different care managers, uh, working with, with people in the community. Um, what do you guys do that's a little bit different? Well, when I started getting involved in elder law, I, I did what every other attorney had, did in their, in, in starting in 2000, which is crisis Medicaid planning. For example, you have a parent in a nursing home, how, how to protect the money so you don't give it to the nursing home, and how to, and how to, 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 to leave money to heirs or to a spouse. There can, there's, a, there's a place for that and can be a very important place for that in the right circumstances. And that's what I did for the first four or five years of traditional elder law. But the more I thought about what the services are being provided, the more I thought about what services were not being provided. Because clients were coming us to us with questions I couldn't answer. What's, does mom's insurance cover uh, certain durable medical equipment? How about prescription drug coverage? What's the best home care agency? What's the qualifications to qualify for hospice, which obviously, John, you know quite a deal about. So we were getting question, questions, in other words, that were related to what we do, but clearly, in its purest form, were not legal in nature. So I realized I had to do a better job. And I had to do a better job of not just being an elder law attorney, but I would argue more importantly, being a healthcare advocate helping families navigate the long-term care process. So that is really the distinction that we do compared to an attorney or an elder law attorney, I should say, who doesn't have that care component in-house where we have five, currently we have five geriatric social workers who help our families navigate the long-term care process and can help really help them get the best care for their loved one. That really is what stands out. And in my humble opinion, that really provides the value that we offer to our clients and their caregiver loved ones. I agree. And I like that you took the problems that were coming to you and that's how you developed the, the uh, program. And I think lots of times you see that in multiple industries, you have to listen to hear what the actual problems are to develop the product that's going to solve it for them. You can't just guess what the problems are. You waited, had them come to you and then you put something to, uh, to implement, to, to put it in place. Um, so that's awesome. I love the services. How's, COVID-19 impact on these services? Well, it's obviously impacted your services related to hospice, and it certainly impacted all industries, including elder law. I mean, we're not immune to it. Um, I would argue, it's, um, it was kind of a wait and see attitude. We didn't know how it was going to affect us. I mean, you could think about all the different issues. Yes, we're not, you know, practical issues such as client, which we've talked about it before, uh, talked about earlier with you, you know, client signings where we're not meeting with them. Well, how do you notarize a document? How do you uh, provide witnesses if you're not um, legally seeing a, the client sign the document across from, from the uh, table? So that's a practical issue. Issues related to um, initial consultations. And uh, so there, there's practical issues related to guardianship and um, having a capacity assessment by by a clinician, well, that all needs to occur in person. So there are certain legal issues and obstacles that had to be overcome, some of this by legislation. So that's the practicalities. Um, and But 
there are also issues that in that, that per, um, came into even more prominence. I do not have to tell you, John, because you are a long-term care professional, are what some of the um, issues facing both both the staff as well as residents of long-term care communities in the Philadelphia metropolitan area. You know it, I know it, and most of our are the most people who watch this video probably knows what's going on. So I'm not going to be I'm not going to get into that at the moment, but the issues that our clients face have actually increased because uh, previously the our family members were helping our clients they were visiting them on a regular basis right. in an assisted living and nursing home and you and i both know th the family members are banned visitation is limited except john as you know with end of life being in right. hospice. yes and you guys were instrumental in getting a family members actually one of our mutual clients getting the uh, I believe it was the wife out to visit the husband uh, and, and able to keep them connected at the end because unfortunately lots of facilities weren't allowing anyone in. Right, right. And, and they still are not, by, as you know as well, you know, as of uh, May 6th, today's date. Right. So, we, so we have, to, one of our care coordinators are, are speaking with clients all day long, helping to facilitate those communications that they can't have with their loved ones. So we try to act as an intermediary. You attend care, you know, what's going on, reaching the social order. So we're actually providing more services, especially related to healthcare advocacy than we previously, because we have to now help the families facilitate the 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 services that some of them were providing. And we're doing things that I, that I you know we can never imagine doing. Counseling a client as to what clothing, I mean, I just spoke with a client yesterday. He's um, a, a widower, doesn't have any local family. I had to counsel him about planning the funeral arrangements, of course, because restrictions on, on funerals, of course, have, are limited and apparently the process has changed with open caskets versus closed caskets. And I had to talk to him about this, what clothing that he should pick out to dress his wife, even though it may be a closed casket. And those are conversations I never had to talk about a client with before. Yeah. Um, obviously, other issues with clients are concerned about whether or not to take their loved one out of assisted living or nursing home or the opposite, whether it's the right time to place a loved one in an assisted living or a nursing home setting. Yeah. Um, what do you see, actually? What are you seeing on your end? Are you seeing more people that are reluctant to put people in a facility now? Generally, the answer is yes. Yeah. Do you think that'll change going forward? You think um, there's going to be some I, sort of stigma there now related to this? I, nursing homes I, didn't have I think that attitude will change, but I think that stigma will remain. Yeah. And of course, it's related to re even returning to the, to the, to the business place. Right. Um, what's the testing? What are the precautions put in place? Mm -hmm. But what's your infection control procedures? What's your infection control you know, score, which is going to be out there now, things of that nature right. for any specific community? So I think there's going to be, um, like anything in like anything, the longer you go, you know, time heals all wounds, right. included, I would argue, COVID-19 wounds. Yep. And so I think that there will, there's going to be a slow change in attitude. But I think there, there's still certainly going to be a need for assisted living in nursing homes. Sure. But I think there more and more uh, people will try to, to find a way to keep their loved one in a home and community setting as long as possible. Yeah. Jerry, you mentioned legislative changes. Um, for example, notaries uh some of that stuff's changing is legislation able to move fast enough to keep up with the changes of uh of, of the disease 
Generally, the answer is no. Like anything in life, legislation, I would say, reacts to the facts on the ground. The law was not prepared for COVID-19 in in lots of different varieties. Now, there were no provisions in place before, um, I would say, um, end of March related to um, virtual notaries for wills, powers of attorney, trusts, and the advanced directives and the like. Right. So there are t- there's temporary legislation in place in both Pennsylvania and New Jersey to allow virtual notaries, but that's temporary. It's only it, it currently um, it will end when the when the healthcare crisis, which is dictated by the governor, ends. I, the however, state of emergency I, is that when it's yes, okay. Which is there's no date for that to end at the right. moment, at least in the Philadelphia metro region, right. as opposed to other parts of Pennsylvania, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, so. But I think there'll be some permanent legislation that will be in place as a result of that. But there's certain things, I mean, there's certainly things related to virtual signings that, that will ch- uh, of legal documents that, that will change over time. Yeah, you guys work in, so you're in New Jersey and, and um, uh, Philadelphia region, right, your offices. Um, is there any major legislative, legislative differences between the two, between the two states? Related to COVID-19? Yeah, just um, different different ways you need to practice in New Jersey versus in versus in Pennsylvania. Um, well, there's some general um, important distinctions in overall um, law pre-COVID nineteen okay. related to specifically Medicaid eligibility. Okay, right. Uh, where it depends on what state would make more fiscal sense related to protecting a primary residence, for example, right. or or the healthy spouse's IRA. But that exists pre or post COVID. Okay. But related to COVID, not necessarily. Okay. The only, the only difference currently we related to assisted living and nursing homes. Mm-hmm. By the way, it's a bad situation on both sides of the river. Okay, mm-hmm. I wouldn't say one state's better than the other. I didn't know if one state was a little more proactive than the other, or just a little more. The, on, the only difference, and I'm not here to place blame. There's a lot, lot of blame to go around in all different aspects of why the situation the way it's at. I mean, that's far beyond the scope of our conversation. And I would say it's on everyone while, you know, why um, long-term care residents are so vulnerable. It's everyone's fault is what I would say. You go down the road, you go down the list, it's, it's everyone's. There's, there's lots of blame to be placed. Yeah, I don't think we could point fingers. We just need to see how it shakes out and, and look back and see what we can learn from it. Correct. But what I will say is that New Jersey, I wouldn't say has been more proactive, mm-hmm. but uh, New Jersey um, names specific assisted living and nursing homes right. with sp- up- updated statistics daily on the number of de- COVID-related deaths in each community, as well as the number of COVID-positive residents in each community. Though yeah. so Pennsylvania has decided not to go down that road. I think Pennsylvania at the most list COVID-related deaths or of each county, not necessarily related directly to nursing homes or assisted living. Right. Yeah, I think they're still lumping them all together. Yeah, so, but the laws, other than that, the laws are relatively similar in each state right. say, with what's been enacted to date related to, to respond to the legal needs of seniors related to COVID. Right. So, Jerry, you stay really up to date on it, and you guys are always putting out um, fresh information. Where do you get most of your information? Is it from CMS or, or just... Where in general do you like to look to, to stay up to date? Um, well, it's a multiple areas and you know, I, I'm spending more time on elder law listservs or 
um, blogs um, or government websites that I've ever spent in my life because every day it seems like different directives in some capacity. So some of that's just for elder law websites to, to know what's going on, um, but also CMS, Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. And there's a couple, two of my favorite, and then, you know, daily email updates from different nonprofits. And two of my favorite nonprofits I, or my go-to source, um, I would say, um, well, there's three, there's really three of them. Uh, one is the um, Center for Medicare Advocacy, which is based in both Connecticut and DC. That, that's basically a, 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 um, a nonprofit Medicare advocacy law firm, gets the updates on all COVID related issues related to Medicare. That's mm -hmm. uh, Center for Medicare Advocacy dot org. Okay, uh, the, the other is the Kaiser Health News, the Kaiser through the Kaiser Foundation. Okay, I think I've actually heard you mention that one before. Okay. Which is a great source of information related to all aspects of healthcare, including seniors. Mm -hmm. um, Kaiser Health News, you can Google it. And the, and the third is a nursing home advocacy group. Um, and I'm trying to think of the right name for it. I can pull that up in a second, John, bear with me. Sure, yeah. Uh, let me try um, to find that. Okay. Well, while you're looking, um, we could switch to something a little bit with a little bit more. Um, what's your favorite thing about what you do? Oh, by the way, before I answer that important <laughs> question, um, this is the National Consumer Voice for Quality Nursing Home Care. That's the third one. Okay. Third one. National Consumer Voice for Quality Nursing Home Care. Puts out daily updates, and they also do, they also, um, do weekly webinars as well as to updates on issues related to uh, nursing home and assisted living care for seniors. I'll, you know what, I'll try to pull up some links and I'll put them below in the videos. When we yeah, share so those video. are my uh, go-tos, I would say, at least on a weekly or daily basis. Yeah. Thanks for sharing. What that. I did, and what was the question? Something fun, so, right? So yeah, trying to bring a more, little more levity to it. Uh, what is the fav your favorite thing that you do? What's your favorite thing about what you do? Um, I would say two things. Number one, getting a hug from a client or a family member. What does that mean? That means we've done something right. They don't have to hug me. Oh, it's okay. I'm over it. But I would say that, you know, having the satisfaction of a job well done or speaking to um, a loved one who's, or a family member of, of a loved one who's passed away and um, tell, and them telling us of how valuable our services are. And when I say valuable our services, I'm not referring to me directly. I'm referring to our team of 29 other people, um, our social workers, our Medicaid, our Medicaid specialists, other attorneys, um, our health insurance advisor, um, our intake coordinators, our, our office manager, our receptionist who someone says how nice they were saying that we provided relief, we took the burden off of them. That's the highest compliment. So some form of a hug, it could be a virtual hug these days. Right. So is, is really what I take great, what I and we take great pride in knowing that we've done all we could to assist them um, is probably my great, you know, the greatest time I have as an elder law attorney. The other issue would be similarly related, how I see our staff and see the, see how we, op how, know, how we operate and the value that we, that we place into staff education 
into staff getting out of the community, meeting people like yourself, attending networking events, and see them nurture and grow um, since they've joined our office and see the enthusiasm in their eyes and hear the enthusiasm in their voice, knowing that they love what they do. And that's a reflection on our entire team. And so those are the biggest joys, the joy you would get out of a job well done and seeing those who you placed faith in and are assisting our clients on a daily basis, see the, see the value that they bring to the office and the value they bring to others. That's great. And you guys certainly are great at what you do. Um, I really appreciate everything that you guys put out, the nuts and bolts of the VA benefits, everything that you guys share with us, um, all the programs that you guys share with communities and now we're doing virtually. So thank you for everything and, and keep up the good work. John, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for your time today. And keep up your great work because I think, you know, there, I, I, I'm really impressed that you're doing these and, and I appreciate everything you do for um, seniors in the community as well. Thank you, Jerry. I appreciate it. All right. Okay. Well, good okay. talking to you. Thanks, Jerry. If anyone has any questions, I'm going to put up your, uh, your contact info and uh, Rothkopf Law in the, in the comments below. So uh, thanks again. All right. Thank you, John. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. All right. Bye-bye.